If you're visiting, my name is Peter, and I serve alongside Jess Stevens and Thaddeus Brown on our team of elders that leads this church. And I'm tasked by them to serve as the lead pastor, which means I direct the staff and I preach the Word of God. So we're going to get into God's Word. We're going to end our series in great faith, even as we end chapter 11 of Hebrews. Now, fair warning, this this group of verses I'm about to read contains some graphic language. So if you feel like you need to kind of remove yourself from the sanctuary while we read this passage, uh, you can do so while we stand up here. Let's all stand up and no one's going to notice if you leave or not. All right. So let's all stand to our feet to honor God's word. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. The writer says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. Blessing that goes beyond our thoughts. Our presumption to try to sort things out. With our fallen minds. There are many of us here that risk our faith and our lives being completely shipwrecked if we don't change our minds about faith and what we call faith and how faith relates to miracles and also to suffering. So grant that we would indeed be be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we'd be granted repentance new thinking, new freedom to trust you with a faith that truly pleases you, with faith that's actually faith. Amen. Amen. Church, I can't overstate the gravity 
and the sobriety that I have felt this week as I've sat under the word of God. As I've been hindered from planning what to say to you a lot longer in the week because I've been stewing over what God is saying to us. It's been good for me. And I think it would be good for you too to sense a level of severity from God's word that I pray that you sense, that he he gives you. That this text reveals hard things about how God helps us to stand against counterfeit faith. Counterfeit faith that's really, really prevalent in our culture today that tends to create a grave amount of counterfeit Christians. And I pray that you would be strong and that you would witness and treasure God's truth in this text today, especially more than life itself, and that you would be truly strengthened, not tossed back and forth by the waves, as it were, so that you would be an unshakable sort of people. The people that the Holy Spirit chose to call out and create, even as he inspired this letter written by the writer of Hebrews, that we would be solid in our faith in a good and unshakable God in the midst of triumph and terror alike. So as I teach through our passage, I have an anchor to my thoughts, really one big idea, and that is this. In order to enact his sovereign will, God will honor our faith in performing great miracles and in allowing grave suffering. Don't miss the all-important conjunction in that really long sentence, admittedly. And. I have two really important points to make that organize our text, and I think you'll find that these two points are you know, loosely connected to our big idea. So here they are. Point one, in order to enact his sovereign will, God will honor our faith in performing great miracles. Point number two, in order to enact his sovereign will, God will honor our faith in allowing grave suffering. Great miracles, grave suffering, would be the summary of this unusual text that can be read, received, and celebrated and lived out by an unusual sort of strong people that in every season of world history, God has been faithful to sustain. God is still into performing miracles. Amen? Amen. God is still into allowing suffering. Amen? amen? Thank you for amening both of those. Now, before I get in, into the first part of our text that talks a lot about the performing miracles part or the, the last part of our text, which talks a lot about the allowing suffering part, I want to zoom out and show why it's important that I've chosen to say that he honors our faith in the midst of it all. 
and zoom out even further to talk about why that's all a part of his sovereign plan, that God's will for orchestrating human events and in orchestrating the events of your life is not arbitrary, it's sovereign. The definition of sovereign is possessing absolute power, authority, and foreknowledge. Uh, a synonym of sovereign is godness, if that were a word. He is God. And all the implications of it, especially the ones that we don't quite grasp with our minds, he remains to be. This is one of those words, sovereign, that's not explicitly stated in the Bible, but is all over the Bible. One of those words, one of those doctrines that if we don't receive this word, then we're not going to read the Bible correctly. We're not going to live our lives with any sort of real faith. We're going to squander the gift of God without this, without trusting his sovereignty. This word sovereignty is like the word Trinity. Trinity is not, the word is not in the Bible, but he, the father and he, the son and he, the Holy Spirit are all over the Bible enacting their sovereign will in the midst of great miracles and grave suffering. Sovereignty. God is sovereign and he performs his sovereign will when circumstances seem good or not good, when they seem providential or they seem random. They're always sovereign and he is always good. Now, why do I say he honors our faith in the midst of all this godness with which he operates, the sovereignty? He honors our faith. I say that because this whole chapter contextually is about Faith. Last week we covered verses one through six. Verse one, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. We, we, we examined faith, held it up to the light of what we presume faith is. We see that in verse six, this, this assurance and this conviction that's mentioned in verse one is better articulated that we have a conviction that the unseen God sees, that he exists, that he is God. It's a great conviction. And we have an assurance that he rewards those who seek him. This is faith. The end of our passage, verse 39, it says all of these, when it, and it, when it kind of summarizes these people who've experienced these unusual circumstances and acts of God's sovereignty and providence, all of these people, were commended through their faith. And before it goes into any of these examples, which we're going to examine carefully, the heading above which it lists those out is verse 33, through faith. Through faith, all this stuff happens. That's why I say that God in his sovereign will honors our faith in, let's first look at how he, in his sovereign will, honors our faith as he performs miracles, signs, and wonders. Pick it up in verse, next page. Y'all with me? Yes. Can we be brave to 
examine God's word, allow God's word to examine us and see where we're left as a result. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. It's verse 33. And it causes us to remember what God has done through miraculous providence. Miracles meaning scientifically this could not have happened. And it very much did happen because God performed miracles. Uh, Even think about this first example. They conquered kingdoms. Our minds are meant to think of Joshua going into the promised land and the people of God following him with some really unusual imperatives that he's giving. March around the city of Jericho seven times in seven days, except the seventh day, seven times in and of itself, and then blow trumpets and scream at the top of your lungs. And we can't get people to come to like meetings. This was the instruction given. And when they did through faith, miraculously, God caused the whole wall to fall down. Except for the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Don't you just love how in God's sovereignty, prostitutes are honored all over the Bible? (laughs) To shame the wise. Rahab, the prostitute, was was an ancestor of the Christ. This is beautiful. This is God, sovereignty, beautiful. He honored their faith. The next example it gives us, they enforced justice. Well, this is uncomfortable. Who enforced justice? He, he says earlier, well, there's Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Deborah, we could mention in the book of Judges. It was a really dark time where God used really messed up leaders. Anyone today ever get triggered? by the people on the left or the people on the right. We're shocked that they're different than me. Well, God can use whatever type of leader and he'll always preserve a remnant and enforce justice that's greater than what we call justice because he's sovereign. Uh, It says they obtained promises. Think of David. He was promised that that one of his descendants, and even you, David, will be on the throne of Israel forever and ever, which is a strange promise to get because David died. But 14 generations later, his descendant, Jesus, overlooked by man, was not overlooked by God, and he was a different kind of king. Way different. Different kind of ruler. He stopped armies with his words. He's not just the king, he's the king of kings. He died like David, but unlike David, he rose again from the dead and he's still alive. He's still king. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These are miraculous things that we're thinking about at the start of our passage. Rising from the dead, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Man, I love that I get to read the book of Daniel every year. Daniel defied the king and prayed to God, trusting that the God to whom he prayed would protect him. And so I wonder what he was feeling like when the king threw him in a pit with a bunch of lions. 
I don't know, but I know what happened. I knew the outcome of that. Those poor lions. <laughs> Through faith, God stopped the mouths of lions. This is miraculous. Speaking of miraculous, verse 34, quenched the power of fire. Same book, book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we will not bow to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, fine, I'll throw you in the fire. And he did. They did not bow. He threw him in the fire. The people throwing him in the fire died because they got too close. They threw three of these men in the fire and they looked and there's four in there. One like the son of man. There's another appearance of Jesus. These are miraculous things. God in his sovereignty will honor our faith in performing great miracles. Escape the edge of the sword. I think of Ezra and Nehemiah. That they were given a a creed. They were given allowance to go back and rebuild the temple and restore the walls of Jerusalem. And they were persecuted. And they honored God while escaping the edge of the sword. Why did they honor God? Well, God's sovereignty and their faith, that's how they escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong in weakness, meekness, I guess, too, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Philistine armies, Roman armies, even after in the intertestamental period, the Maccabean revolt, God in his sovereignty allowed them to have some relinquishment of the oppression under Roman rule. And it was, by all accounts, Miraculous circumstances. We serve a God who performs miracles. This is why I say that God, according to his sovereign will, enacts his sovereign plan and honors our faith in performing great miracles. And he still does. He still does. We still serve a miraculous God. When you look at your circumstances and you compare them over and against your God, your circumstances are comparatively comparatively minuscule. He still performs overwhelming miracles. I remember one of the first few years we brought students to Mexico. I've told this story before and I'll tell it again and I'm telling it now. Uh, this is what I would call an unusual notable miracle. Some of our younger teenage guys were praying for this guy who was a, a drunk that had gotten a really horrible car accident and in this small town in Tijuana uh, had been walking around for 18 months with a mangled up leg from the accident. It was gross. And these two young guys on our team from Midland, Texas kept praying for him. And... Uh, they kind of inconvenienced our team because we had two buses and it's like, oh, they're praying for this guy again. And you know what happened? Nothing happened. Uh, They kept praying for him. They just interrupted my lunch is what I thought was happening. (laughs) And um, the last day we were there, we had a service. We had built this church building for a church of about 30 or 40 people in Tijuana. And this guy from the city is in this service. He's carried in his little walker thing. It was like a makeshift walker. Uh, It's kind of carried in and he's kind of helped in, carried in and sat in like the third or fourth row. And I remember leading worship in Spanish and like couldn't hear, we didn't have amplification. I I was screaming at the top of my lungs and 
and everyone, you know, singing loudly and almost sounded like music. Uh, it would kind of kind of keep the beat, right? Well, at one point, we lost all semblance of what could be considered a song <laughs> because there was just screaming and mayhem. And the 30 people in this room from the church were watching this man dance around and his leg was no longer messed up. It was no longer gross. And they were all screaming. I was kind of not sure if I should scream and celebrate or run away. (laughs) The 50 or 60 visitors from the city that knew this guy that were not yet a part of the church, they were not screaming. They were sitting there and I'll never forget the terrified look on their face. Most of those people that afternoon were baptized. God still performs miracles. We've seen miracles in our church. We continue to press into miracles. If ever you encounter someone that says that God doesn't still perform miracles, or they spout out some foolishness about the the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, and he doesn't still do what he promised to do, you just walk away from that, that person and you just pray for them. In tongues. And I do earnestly invite you to obey what the Bible says about earnestly desiring miracles, the spiritual gifts, the higher gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Why do I do that, Pastor Peter? Pray that God gives you the gift to prophesy under the power and authority of his word, to build other people up, to know Jesus more, and he will accompany that desire with his power when you align yourself with the purpose of it. And so you can come for any meeting we have, a service, you come up in our, in our prayer time, in our growth groups, in our prayer time, ask God for more of his power. You might go in there thinking, I need to have power to stop doing this. And God's saying, yeah, that's good but I want to give you power beyond that to start doing this and preaching his word with authority. God still does miracles. We invite you to seek God and seek his miraculous power, but do it in faith. Faith that God gives power and that God knows when to give it and when to wait. This is faith. That's why there's an and to the big idea, and coincidentally, a point two to the point one. If you don't get point two here, and you don't see that there's something else here in this text, and you don't rightly apply it to your life, then your whole life in faith could be a house of cards. You might be one of those people who tragically trusts God for miracles, but doesn't trust the God of miracles. You could be the one who almost trusts God. The one who Jesus described is like the seed planted upon the rocks that dies, it, dies off in the midst of the elements because it's not firmly rooted in good soil of true faith. I want to give you this stern warning to encourage you 
to seek the manifold mystery of all of who God is and what he does. So number two, in order to enact his sovereign will, God will honor our faith in allowing grave suffering. I hope you see what I recently have started to see after 20-something years of reading the Bible. In verse 35, there is an abrupt transition qualitatively in the details, right? So there's like good winning stuff. Woo, hashtag winning. The first start of our passage. And then all of a sudden, circle it if you have your Bible. Verse 35, there's a period. And then there's a new sentence that starts. King James, ASV. It says, others were. um, That's probably the most direct from the Greek. Others were. Uh, ESV, which we read, it just says, some were. I actually like the the NIV best in this. It says, then there were others. But look at the abrupt transition. Women received back their dead from resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Well, this isn't miracles. What happened to the miracles? Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. What, God, where did you go? They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Dramatic shift in the details. This is admittedly uncomfortable to read, In the Bible, it almost makes us subconsciously want to read it as if it were some sort of hypothetical or mythological set of details because it's so specific and graphic. But you can't do that, especially when you consider, I've I've read this this one book put out by Voice of the Martyrs of uh, modern day in the last 10 or 15 years Martyrs, mostly in the Middle East, Christians that have suffered in similar ways, some of which saw great miracles, others that just through faith, the same faith, suffered grave suffering. It's hard to stomach when you consider that those examples that I read of in this book from the last 10 years are very eerily similar to these examples. And it's hardest when you specify and locate your own suffering in the middle of trusting God and true faith. Your own suffering that is a result of your sin and the sin of others in some ways, but in other ways can be a result of faith as well, mixed all in there, and that you can have peace amidst if you would allow it. It's available. That's a lot, of, lot more hard. See why I said sobriety at the start of this message? This is sobering. Even check out the contrast in talk about swords in this text. Verse 34, they escaped the edge of the sword. Verse 37, also subheading, Christians 
They were killed with the sword. That's a very strange juxtaposition of details, opposite details. Some had faith and escaped the sword because of their faith. Some had faith and were killed by the sword because of their faith. Why? Beware of sorting this out into the wrong boxes. Here's where I've seen a faith-killing, heretical reduction of this mystery in recent decades. False teaching that leads to idolatry that masquerades as faith. It's the claim that, okay, these people in verse 34, they escaped the edge of the sword because they had great faith. But the people in verse 37, I suppose, that uh, they were killed by the sword because their faith wasn't strong enough. Many of us have seen renditions of this same garbage. It's not just a slight error in talking about faith. It is a false gospel from the devil. I love what John Piper, pastor in Minnesota, says, commenting on this text. He says, It is a great comfort to me to know that there is a higher explanation to my pain than whether or not I have enough faith. What is the higher explanation? God. God knows we don't. So how do you sort that out? You don't. You trust him. We trust him. Verse 37 goes on. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, of whom the world was not worthy. Now, I want to tell you, it is okay to be a person that is admired by many in the world, Billy Graham. But if we don't have the right tension of trusting God in the middle of our mix of miracles or suffering, if we don't have the right kind of faith, we'll be the kind of people that are worthy of the world, and that's not good. God calls us the sort of people in the midst of our suffering faith and our miracles faith, the sort of people that is described of of whom the world is not worthy. His ways are above our ways. If we can't trust this God whose sovereignty and goodness is way above us, way out of this world, then we'll be rendered useless in his redemptive plans in this world. One of the great battles of your life is trusting the goodness of a sovereign God, which is to say, trusting the sovereignty of a good God. Even when circumstances appear to be not good or more confusing, they appear to be random. Will you be rooted in true faith so that when circumstances appear to be not good, you can say with your heart, God is good. His truth is more real than my seeming facts. 
And when you're in the midst of what seem to be random circumstances, your heart can declare God is sovereign. So how do we sort all this out? How do we know whether or not, okay, is this one of those times where I'm supposed to have faith for miracles? Or is this one of those times where I'm supposed to have faith for suffering? Again, you don't sort that out. That's not your job. God does a good job being God. We don't do a good job being God. Sometimes we have to fail in our efforts so that we can go back to, okay, wait, well, I'm not supposed to do that job. I'm supposed to trust God to not sort it out. I trust his goodness, and I don't know the hands he's going to deal, deal me, but I can know him. When you don't know why, you can know the one who knows why, and that's good enough. There's a difference between understanding his sovereignty versus trusting his sovereignty. Trusting the God that's in control versus being able to step inside his control tower and see what he sees. He knows it's too much for us. He wants to bring us something better than that. He wants to bring us his peace. And we can, as his children, say, Daddy, Abba, Father, I trust you. Here's a treasure of a verse. Pray that you could treasure it in your heart. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who God loves, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The purpose which you don't always grasp or understand, but you can always declare his goodness over that which you call good and over that which feels different. He's always good. But do you know that? It says, we know. How much are you willing to pay for that knowledge? Do you trust him? September 17th, 1997, I came to a campus ministry on my high school campus and I brought all of my perverse religious hypocrite, girl-manipulating, perverted self. And I saw Jesus exchange my fallenness for faith in his goodness and his sovereignty. I became a born-again Christian, not just a uh, uh, Bible-assenting religious person. I became a Christian. I got to see real faith. That same Saturday... In 1997 was my first discipleship meeting. I didn't even, I'd never heard the word discipleship before, but I was forced to remember and memorize this verse. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will straighten your paths. God's words stored in your heart can help produce a kind of faith that, that when everything else is shaking you, you will be unshaken and unshakable. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans eleven thirty three. therefore I persist. Oh, the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Here's another goodie, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, 
what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Can't stop, won't stop. Joseph (laughs) suffered in prison. 14 years, think about that. I get great comfort out of knowing how much he suffered and how none of his suffering was wasted by our sovereign God. 14 years he suffered in a prison, suffered the confusion of wondering, is this a meaningless kind of suffering? No. He stood before his brothers who, thinking themselves responsible for his great suffering, he corrected their anxiety and said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Some translations foolishly and wrongly say, but God used it for good. No, God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Are you believing church for great miracles? Are you enduring grave suffering? Those are all surface level circumstantial questions. The more important question is, Do you trust God now? It says they were, verse 39, they were all commended for their faith. So the people who by faith triumphed in the first part of our passage, and then the people in the last part of our passage that had to fight, is this the meaningless kind of suffering? They were commended for their faith too. And it says that none of them experience the promise that, that through us they'd see perfection, meaning we are complete as we understand that our greatest triumphs on earth are like nothing compared to the greatness of our God who is consummating his kingdom plan until the last day of great and powerful victory. And the greatest seemingly meaningless suffering is not meaningless to him. And so all of us together, we can combine our circumstances with faith. As I close, I remember a man trying to, thinking himself a Christian, thought he was defending God. By, by saying, you know, God, God doesn't allow bad things to happen to people. That's not God. God's not the author of, of your suffering. And I think he thought he was defending God, right? Like, you know, if I just say, you know, that, that God wasn't sovereign over that situation, then God will not be culpable or to be blamed for the bad stuff, you know, because if he is, then that makes God bad. Well, no, it doesn't make God bad. God doesn't design or delight in our suffering, but he can ordain all things to pass for his good plan, and we are still accountable for our evil. How does that all sort itself out? I don't know, but here's what I do know, that God is good, and that God doesn't just all the time. And all the time, amen. And it's not that God, I'm not going to pitter-patter around, does God like kind of allow suffering to happen sometimes? No, God ordains, predestines 
horrible things to happen for his good plan. The quintessential example of this is the cross of Jesus Christ. Look no further than to his suffering. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Nothing has been more unfair in all of history. I get to experience the glory of God despite knowing that I do not deserve it. Not fair. It's mercy. And therefore, I trust this God. Through faith, Jesus lived a perfect life, performed countless miracles. Through faith, he was condemned under Pontius Pilate, suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving that he is God and extending to us his unconquerable life that we might receive it. How? Through faith by his grace in Christ alone. The convergence, the combination of great miracles and grave suffering is shown under his sovereign hand. Let's pray.